of this episode of the After the Timeout Podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. We're headed down to Texas. Today's guest is Yusef Larry, head girls basketball coach at Memorial High School in Houston, Texas. Talk to Coach Larry about picking the system for your program, working it through the freshman and JV levels, conceptual basketball, and much, much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout Podcast. let's let's start with our opening tip um coach you know for our listeners uh we always like to talk to coaches from different areas right uh we, we talked to a lot of chicago coaches uh but you're down there in texas i believe houston area right is it the houston area that's so, correct um you know maybe kind of give us a little background of you know the houston area basketball um your your coaching journey and your your program and what you guys what you guys are doing down there so our listeners can kind of learn something to do. Okay, well I'm from Arkansas. It's where I'm from originally. A small town called Lone Oak, about four thousand people. It's actually the minnow capital of the world, if there is anything to have a claim to fame on. Um, and I always I grew up playing basketball. I love the sport. Coaching was something that I could see myself getting into but I never really wanted to because in order to coach all of my coaches were history teachers and they just I don't like to do things I'm not passionate about and so that really wasn't anything that I pursued uh, I went to school at Harding University up in Searcy Arkansas did the business major got my MBA um, ended up doing some work in the in the business world for a little while and then opportunity come came up where my wife said she wanted to get back closer to home, which is Katy, Texas. And uh, so Westbury Christian was on campus. They were recruiting teachers and somebody was like, you should go talk to them. You can teach computers, which is a passion of mine, technology, uh, as well as you can coach basketball. And I was like, wait, this can't be true because we didn't have those kind of classes in small town Arkansas, right? And so uh, I went to go talk to them. Um, push came to shove. I ended up taking that job. So we moved out to Houston. Wife got closer to home, which, you know, she's happy. I'm happy type of deal. Uh, it was a great opportunity for me to get a chance to work with Greg Glenn in the Westbury Christian boys basketball program, story, history, tons of state championships. Uh, Coach Glenn actually played for Coach Meyer at Lipscomb. Um, and so just being around him in that program for two years, and then moving over to Memorial High School and being able to get in uh, with Coach Dave Lay, who's the head boys basketball coach there. Uh, learn a lot from him about basketball as well. I was on the boys' side for four years as an assistant. And then the principal and the athletic director came and said, hey, we've got an opening. We think you'd be good with the girls. And never thought about that in my life. But after thinking about it for a little bit, I jumped on it. and I've never thought about anything else since. So we wanted to just get in a little bit, just as a, a quick follow-up, um, you know, you talked about your passion for technology um, and having an MBA. I think that's really unique to our guests. Um, you know, is it just in having your experience with an NBA and, and a business background, what are some ways you feel like coaches can um, kind of market their program and, and kind of like the business of high school basketball? Right. No, I think it's all about communication. So whether that's delivering a message to your team and having the consistent message that you're delivering to your team, one that you're putting out with your community, whatever it is, you know, we want to drive those things home. And for us, you know, we always talk about characters, our commitment, basketball is our passion and excellence is our goal. And everything that we do is driven from that. And so whether it be signage that we have up in the locker room, whether it be you know, that's just something that all of this of the decisions that are made in our program should revolve around those three things. And then we wanted to just go uh, in a little bit. So let, let's get a little basketball. -y. So, you know, for you offensively and defensively, um, what are you looking to do at Memorial? You know, kind of maybe this will be a little bit of your opportunity to kind of talk about your personnel a little bit. 
Um, and, and maybe uh, what did you do last year? And maybe are there things systematically you're thinking about changing till next year? So I'm sure this will be a real hard as a basketball coach to really talk about offense and defense. Right, right. Well, like I said, originally when I came over, I was coming from the boys' side. We had run the Princeton offense. And so that's what I had known because before that, I was really a defensive person. That's what I was. Uh, but I brought the Princeton offense over into the girls portion of it. And we ran chin that first year. Uh, and then we added in portions of point the second year. And then we did that for about four years. I started getting a lot of kids in were freshmen. And there's just, when you're running the Princeton to get a freshman to come in and operate and see things at the same level that somebody that's been in the program for a year or two, that's difficult. And so we made a change. And so there were a few years I don't know, probably about five or six years where we were floating around offensively and doing some different things, whether it be motion strong, Euro ball screen, you know, whatever. Uh, but over the last five years, what we've been doing is uh, a lot of people call it Rose series, or it's like the Doug Novak four out one in, except we don't do it with the four out one in. We do it from a five out two guard spacing. And the biggest reasoning behind that is because I've, this is, I just finished my 13th year. And I just literally just have a sophomore on the team that's a legit six-footer, right? And so we're always in Houston again, I think fourth largest city. So we're always facing kids that are 6'3", 6'4". So even when we have a six-foot kid, we don't really have an advantage in size. And so we just made the conscientious decision just to say, let's just go all in on developing everybody from a skill standpoint. Let's make that an expectation. Uh, let's expect everybody to handle the ball and shoot the ball. And, and so that's sort of offensively what we're doing. We're more of a drive and drive and kick type game just so that we can open up the lane. And we want to shoot threes effectively, but we want to do that so that you have to guard us and we can get to the basket. Uh, so from an offensive standpoint, that's sort of what we do. So let's kind of dig into that only because you probably saw me smiling. Our listeners can't see me smiling as you kind of talked about your offensive philosophy because it's very similar to mine. So I kind of want to go into you a little bit deeper into the offensive side and talk about, you know, what are some of your statistical goals? Do you have statistical goals or, or what are your ways to measure your offensive success? So just, just to give you an idea. So if like for us personally, we're trying for 70 plus possessions, 50 plus shots, 20 plus free throw attempts, things like that. So that we know that we are driving and kicking. We, we know we aren't settling for too many threes. Um, are there any like statistical, um, measuring points or, or what are your measuring points offensively that you use? Over percentage. Um, I'm getting a message that is dropping my microphone. Can you still hear me? You're good. Okay, Let me cancel that. All right. So the biggest thing for us would be a turnover percentage, just making sure that we're getting good shots. Um, I like to tell my kids all the time, it's not about making the shot, it's about taking the right ones. So we hope that we put the right players out on the court to where if we get enough of the good shots, then we'll let the percentages worry about themselves. So we're not really worried about, obviously we wanna have a high effective field goal percentage. We want our points per possession to be high. Uh, this year we were 0.98 points per possession. Last year we were 0.97. Uh, this year, I think we were right at 18% turnovers, which was a little bit up from last year, which was like 17 something, I think. Um, but the turnover percentage, that's, to me, that's the big one uh, that we really, really focus on. Um, all right, so let's, let's talk about then the end of the season. You talked a little bit about how you're looking at your system, but season ends, right? Um, you guys had a really good year this year, but you know it's it's hard to to finish on a on a winning note, right? There's only a couple teams that do it in each division. So season's over. How do you analyze um, how the season went? Um, you know the success of your system, um, your players, you know, and then even your coaching staff. What are the things you're looking at to kind of put it all together in a package and say, okay, we got to make adjustment here, or do this better, whatever it may be. Right. I think we're always looking as coaches, we're always looking for growth. Uh, and so some of the things 
from a player standpoint, like if I look at one of my kids this year, she's a junior, she was our leading scorer. Um, in years past, her assisted turnover ratio was upside down. You know, she's a, a kid that's a six footer who in middle school probably was playing the big type position. And she's, you know, she's a, she does everything for us inside, outside. Her assisted turnover ratio was on the right side for the first time in three years. So that's huge because throughout the year, we were talking about, hey, we understand that you're going to create points for us and you're going to attack. But the next thing for you to do is to not only score for us, but to make the job easier for your teammates and create scoring opportunities for them because of the pressure that you're putting on on the defense. And so she improved a ton throughout the season with that. And and just having that positive assist to turnover ratio was great. She also went from 29% to 34% three-point shooting. So statistically, from a player standpoint, there are a lot of things like that that we can look at. Um, from a program standpoint, I'm a member of, of the RAMP uh, Radius uh, Mentorship Program. And so we have a game model book. And at the beginning of the year, I try to go back and make sure that everything that's in there is what we really want to, to have done for that season. And so at the end of the year, I like to go back at that and look and see, okay, what were the things, did we do these things that we said that we wanted to accomplish? You know, were we disruptive defensively? Did we attack aggressively? You know, all of those things that are in there, how did we want to attack? Did we see a lot of that throughout the year? If, if so, great. If we didn't, then what we probably need to do is we need to either go in and reevaluate that and take something out or, you know, so just looking back at what we wanted to do before the season and seeing if that sort of manifested itself throughout. So let's kind of talk about uh, a little bit of it, looking at your schedule for next season. I know I'm doing that right now and looking at our schedule for next season. So for you personally, and, and everybody has a preference, do you kind of tweak your schedule to what you feel your talent level is going to be the next year? Do you kind of tweak your schedule based on maybe your conference is a little tougher, so your non-conference isn't as tough? Um, how do you go about it? Or do you just say, hey, every year it's going to be the same schedule, the same opponents, it doesn't matter. How do you kind of work through your schedule? All right. Well, I, I would say... Um just to give a little bit of background in Texas, we're allotted 21 games in three tournaments. And so knowing that we also are all in districts. And so we're in an 18 district. So that means we're going to have 14 district games. So that means I need to find seven non-district games. What I like to do is I like to, of course, I want to look at my district and I want to see what I, what I think is coming back, what I expect teams to be, how can I prepare myself for that? But then I jump to those tournaments and I want to know what's the placement of the tournaments as far as throughout the schedule, where do I want those to come? And then what level of tournament do I want to be in? And so for the past two or three seasons, we've been in the most difficult tournament schedule uh, that, that I never thought I would play in a, in a tournament schedule that difficult. Uh, so we get 14 to 15 games in those three tournaments and when I tell you that's going against the best in, in Dallas and in Austin and throughout the rest of the state, that's what those tournaments have done. Um, and so those other seven non-district games, I want to make sure if we're coming off of tournaments, I don't want that to be a game that's quite as taxing. Because um, so this season, we'll start off, we'll go Friday and Saturday, we'll play a game. We'll play another game on Tuesday, and then we'll play a five-game tournament Thursday through Saturday. Then we're going to come back that following Tuesday, we're going to play a game. And then we're going to play another Thursday through Saturday tournament where we'll probably get five games. So in that first 15 days of the season or 14 days of the season, we're going to get 14 to 15 games. So I don't need all of those non-district games to be at the same level that those tournament games are going to be. That's, that's sort of how I look at it. That's interesting. I, I like that. So, now let's, all right, you got that balance. And I believe your guys, at least from what I've gathered, right, and just chats and conversation, your offseason may be a little bit different than ours. So maybe give us a little bit on what you guys can do offseason. And then let's follow up with, like, what information are you giving your kids returning next year? What do you want them to know 
Um, you know, and then what are you including for them in their off season plan to help them, you know, carry it out, you know, and get better for when you actually start your season next year. Yeah, no, as far as off season for us in Texas, we have an athletic period. So we have, we're on an eight period day. Uh, each one of those periods is about 50 minutes long. And so every day throughout the school year, we're getting 50 minutes with our kids. I give them about five minutes to get dressed, so 45 minutes every day. Um, we can't do anything after school or outside of school from the middle of October through the, or I'm sorry, we can't do anything after school from the end of the season until the middle of October. But throughout the rest of that, we have that 50 minute athletic period. Uh, and so every day, you know, we get about two weeks off at the end of the year. And then every day what we do is we go in and we're working on something um, that we're going to be doing next year, whether that's, you know, skill wise, whether that's, you know, scheme wise, whatever it is, we're using that athletic period year round. And so that's been crucial as far as for our uh, growth and our development. When it comes to the kids and offseason plans at the end of the year or the end of the season, we sit down with everybody that's returning and we talk about, you know, how was your year? But then we also start to get them to think about, okay, the seniors are gone. Here are the things that we're going to need to, you to do so that we can continue to have success, whatever we define that success as. Um, and so it's just a lot of, you know, let's listen to them, see what the, it is they want to improve at. And then now let's throw some things at them that we would like to see them improve in and, and just go from there and have an honest conversa conversation. So, actually, Todd, this would be your segment. So, well, I, I'm going to follow up on that. Then this kind of flows right into it. So you obviously have more opportunities to work with your kids. So I wanted to talk about in our halftime adjustment segments here, a lot of times it's X's and O's, but I, I wanted to go into like your practice planning, right, during the season. Not necessarily, you know, obviously you're off season 15 minutes you're probably picking a certain thing and that's what you do for those 45, right? But when you get into the season, um, having all those opportunities to work with your kids and maybe some of that stuff that, you know, like for us in Illinois, like we get them in June, season's over, we don't get them till June and then we don't get them again till October, right? So now, you know, sometimes you feel like, well, I gotta get my player development in, you know, and obviously they're working, here, you know, there, but you don't have as much control over it. So for you, what does your practice plan look like maybe early season, right? Because you said you have that um, middle season and late season. What are some of the key components of every practice that you have? Uh, early season, I would say those typically are going to be longer for us. Um, and I would say that's going to be making sure that we understand what we want to do situationally. Um, you know, offensively, we do have a few multi-sport athletes. And so I'll get a few volleyball kids that'll come over. And so making sure that they understand what it is we're trying to accomplish offensively and defensively. So those are a little bit slower paced um, just as we implement some things, but they still involve a ton of shooting. I mean, if I'm going to tell kids, if you're open, I expect you to shoot it. We better spend some time working on that. And so we spend a lot of time working on shooting. Uh, early season, we also spend a lot of time working on one-on-one -on -one just because of the nature of what we do. We want to drive past you to create some kind of advantage. And so we want to spend some time getting a lot of time working on that and not only working on that from an offensive standpoint, but working on it from a defensive standpoint as well. And then we also spend a majority of our time just up and down the floor, whether that be five-on-five -five working transition work or we do a lot of five on five on five, which has been really beneficial for us this year. Uh, mid season, I would say we start to uh, back off of the one V one just a little bit. We cut down on that some just because our practices are getting a little bit shorter. Uh, we'll continue our shooting, uh, probably 30% of our practices are shooting and finishing, uh, whether that be you know driving and somebody cuts you off and so you're working on counter attacks or just pure shooting threes. And then the rest of the time, again, strength and conditioning, and then us just playing. Because the more time that we get playing together, the more time that, that we can 
you know, figure out where it is we need to be, understand what the tendencies are of our teammates and things of that nature. And then towards the end of the season, which I would define as like the second round of district, those practices are 45 minutes for us, an additional 30 minutes on the days that we're lifting weights. And it's purely just shooting and us getting up and down for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then we're done. Uh, I mean, we played 39 games this year, plus we had two other scrimmages that we play as games. So in a 41 game season, I just wanna make sure at the end of the year that we're fresh. I want to follow up here a little bit. Um, that's that's really awesome how you structure it. But you talked about you know you getting your kids playing. Um, so I guess how are you helping them? You know during that during that playing, and then maybe with film or whatever. How are you helping them kind of evaluate? You know their decision making, um, how they're doing within your offense. You know because um, sometimes you can play and then you're getting up and down and. You know, it looks it looks great. It looks great one day, but there's a lot of reasons for that. So how are you kind of evaluating that play and helping them learn maybe the system or the certain skills that they're working on and kind of reinforce that? Right. I would say that the biggest thing for us, or at least for myself, I do a lot of what I would call coaching behind the play. Like I talked about, we do a lot of 5v5v5 to where if a team, you know, scores, they get the ball, they go to the other end, they play against another team. And it's just continuous. So if there's something that's defensively that breaks down and something didn't happen when the offense is going down to the other end, I'm behind the play and I'm trying to coach them up on that situation. Um, offensively, whenever they lose possession of it, if there was something that I felt like, hey, did you think about this? Um, you know, what did you see here? Why was this your decision? I'm going to talk about that once they lose possession. Unless there's some question that comes up, and then I'll stop and then we'll talk about, or we see something that happens uh, not optimally two or three times in a row, we're gonna stop and we're gonna talk about that. And then we're gonna pick back up. Because again, I just think that those reps and them getting those opportunities to experiment and mess up and you know, see if they can be creative in a situation, see what they can get away with, what they can't. I think those are all valuable experiences for them. So let's kind of tweak that specifically for the youth athletes and developing the youth athletes. When you're looking for younger players to come in with a certain skill set or a certain um, certain skills to match your system, or is it kind of something you have to teach to the younger athletes, freshmen, sophomores, when they get there? Do you, do you feel like you have athletes that come in with some of the skills you're looking for? Or do you feel like the things you're looking for are specifically things that you teach once they get there? I think that we have uh, student athletes that come in that are, they have some of those skills, but I think we sort of operate in a, in a system to where roles are really clearly defined. And so once they get to high school, now we want to try to stretch them and make them grow because I want to put five people on the floor at all times. It can be a scoring threat. Um, but middle school level and below, that may not have been the issue. Maybe they want to get their best two or three players only shots. And so now those kids that may have been four or five or six, I want those kids to, to elevate themselves and say, okay, I'm expected to be able to do a certain level of thing from a skill standpoint. And that's where I have to raise myself to. So that's what, we, that's what we're constantly trying to do once they get here. There are gonna be some that are ready when they show up as freshmen and they're ready to contribute, whether that be on the varsity level or you know, that's just what they're used to. But then those others, once they're removed from them, we need them to grow and to get closer to that level. So I want to expand on that a little bit. And this is a topic that's fresh in my mind. My daughter's in third grade. So I, I really struggled to find opportunities for her that are kind of in between, right? Where they're, you know, she played rec ball, um, probably not quite the level. She's a little, little bit better, but not great. And then, you know, it seems like it goes to 100 from zero to 100, right? Like you got to play real basketball up and down. So how can we, Within that, you talked about your youth and maybe the two players just getting shots. How can we do better with youth 
you know, skill development and, and training. Um, you know, what are some things that maybe in your area that you see that we, you could do better or just overall that you think we could do better? Right. Um, I think the biggest thing is number one, I wish that our system was set up to where we did more three on three because five on five in and of itself, there are way too many ways to game the system. Um, especially at the younger age when kids aren't as skilled, they aren't as developed. Uh, so I just wish three on three, you know, there would be more kids getting more touches, all of those kind of things. I think that would be beneficial to the game. You know, in our area, I think we've had a massive, you know, volleyball is huge. And so, I, and I never, it didn't even hit me until this year because we don't have a lot of tall kids playing basketball, but we have a lot of tall kids that play volleyball. And so I was thinking earlier this year and I was like, well, why is that? And I truly believe it's because at the younger age, when you get a taller kid in basketball, we tell them, you go down here, you go rebound. And so we basically, we take the ball out of their hand and we say, you don't get to have fun. You get to go down here. And if we can pass the ball to you, we will. And how many times, I mean, I'm watching the NCAA tournament. And how many deflected passes am I seeing entered into the post? So if that's a high level skill to be able to feed the post at a collegiate level, why is that an easy skill to be able to do at a third and fourth and fifth grade level? And so we sort of take the fun away from the taller kids, whereas they can go play volleyball and the bigger kids, you know what they get to do? They get to jump up and hit the ball and block it. And so that's a lot more appealing if they're playing that position than if they're just running from baseline to baseline with just the furthest run that you can make. And it's your job to be under the basket. And if we throw you the ball, we expect you to score, but don't worry about anything that's happening out here the rest of the time. Well, I, I, my daughter is pretty tall and she, I, she experienced that like recreational basketball, like you go down there and then they can't make a post pass. Like my college kids have trouble making a post pass. sometimes, right. So, I never thought about it in that volleyball term, but that's a great, that's a great comparison right there. I mean, complete and, and there agreement. sometimes uh, too, where you got to look at it, like some of these kids as third graders, they may be tall, but who knows how much more they're going to grow. And never grow again. And so Listen, now we've limited five, ten, so she ain't grown that skill because we said, hey, you're tall, you go do yes. this, and you never have had these opportunities to do these other things. Yes. No doubt, no doubt. Amen. I mean, yeah, my, my wife and I aren't that tall, so she ain't getting much bigger. But um, so I wanted to go a little bit. We talked about skills and we just talk about system now, right? I wanted to talk about like how you kind of tier your levels, right? Align your program. Because obviously, and, you know, I'm not 100% sure what levels you have, but you know, sometimes up here it's freshman, sophomore, or freshman, JV, or whatever. But you know, obviously, the freshmen aren't going to do some of the same things as a, as a varsity team right mm -hmm. but when you're looking at tearing everything down and the, the, the skills how do you go about you know putting that together and aligning your program so as at the end of the freshman year you need to be able or should be able to do this and then the next level this by the time they get the varsity they have these things where you can kind of build on that at the varsity level right well, I would just to, again, give a little more background. So we have a varsity program, we have a junior varsity, and then we have two freshman teams where I am. And so when you watch our freshman teams, our freshman teams probably take more varsity type shots than most varsities do. And so what I mean by that is, is our opponents at the freshman level, uh, it's very you run this offense from point A to B to C to D, and we're trying to get the ball here to this one spot, and that's the way they're structured. That's not the way we're structured. Offensively, we're doing the exact same thing. We're trying to get them to understand how to start space, how to create space and play through advantages, and then how to maintain that spacing. So we're trying to get them to be able to do all those things. Uh, and one of the hardest things is just with parents. And, and I had to talk to them in the parent meeting. And I said, look, we are going to ask your child to do some things that they've probably never been asked to do, like shoot threes. And, and you know, when they miss them, I don't, we don't need you in the stand saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. 
because if they're not taking those opportunities to shoot, then they're probably coming out of the game, first of all, okay? But the way I feel about it is I have to allow you to miss the shot before I can expect you to make it. And if I never give you those opportunities or if those opportunities don't come until you're ready to take them, then I'm never going to get the best out of you. So our freshman team may take more threes than we take. And I think we take 26 a game. They may take more threes than we do. Uh, and our JV is, is just the same. Uh, so we play a very similar style. Obviously, the skills aren't the same, but I want them to know what's expected of them. And I don't want to water that down at a lower level just to get through. My heart's happy right now. Anyways, moving on. Um, so in the offseason, what do you kind of do to evaluate your own performance? Um, I, I've been really talking to my assistants about, you know, reflecting on their own performance this year and how we are going to grow as coaches. Um, so, but for you personally, how do you kind of reflect and analyze what you need to do better? Um, and maybe what are you learning in the process about yourself and your coaching ability? Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to, first of all, I talked about that game model. Uh, so making sure that I'm staying aligned there, uh, obviously that's, that's a huge document for us. And it's something that, and when I say us, I'm saying us as a program, it's not something that I give out to the kids. Um, but it's just, it's, it drives us. It's, it's the backbone of what we do. Um, so I would say a lot about that. Then I would also say that being a part of that ramp program that just, we have a huge community of coaches. And so just being able to interact, being able to bounce things off of them. I'm huge in there where I'll, hey, I'll say, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's an area where I may be deficient. I'm thinking about doing this. You guys give me some thoughts. And so now I can throw all of that up there, you know, use them as a sounding board. A lot of times maybe they've dealt with it. Maybe they haven't dealt with it, but they could say, hey, maybe you want to watch out for this or that. So just using that community uh, to, to sort of help assist me, that's been huge over the last five years. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I would just say, and recommend to anybody find that community, regardless of whether it's online, whether it's in person, uh, find that community and you guys just share and share thoughts and open up on that. Yeah, John tells me I'm an idiot with my ideas all the time, so it's great. No, I'm just teasing. Not Sometimes true you know, at all. I know, I know, I'm just messing with him. But yeah, we, yeah, and uh, for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, Ramp is Randy Sherman. Uh, we've had him on, he's awesome. Uh, I'm in it and like like coach said like we just throw ideas out there and people respond and you know you find stuff that you can take from your take from other people and add it to yours so uh, it's it's really cool to get in there and, and talk about it so uh, so coach let's talk about like you personally you know we're gonna go look into the future here in the next five years kind of maybe what are some of your goals for yourself as a coach and then um, I think this is a really important question because, you know, when we talk to our Illinois guests and it's kind of happened again this year, John, right? We look at jobs and coaches are kind of leaving at a crazy rate. Um, you know, I don't know how it is down by you, but but how do you stay focused on on your goals and not let there's so much outside stuff now, whether it be parents, mm -hmm. whether it be administration, whether I don't even know, there's all kinds of stuff. So how do you focus on those goals and not let kind of those pressures steer you off of your goals? down the road for the next five years, the next year, next two years. Right. Uh, big thing for me is I just want to get better at being better for my kids. You know, I don't really know what that's going to entail. Um, I want them to, through this high school experience, to feel like they accomplished some things that maybe before they got here, they didn't really think that they could accomplish. I want them to have, um, you know, the memories of, the relationships that they built with their teammates and just to look back at all the time that they spent preparing for basketball, practicing in basketball, playing games and feel like that was a positive experience. So that's the big thing that I want um, as far as from a goal standpoint, you know, I've been here for 17 years total at the school, 13 years in the girls program. And so as long as they'll have me here, I'm hoping to be here. 
So I don't have any, you know, I want to go do this or I want to go do that. No, I just want to be better for my kids. Like I, I love it where I am and, and that's what I'm trying to do is just to be a little bit better for them. So this is a, a interesting question. Um, and I, I think just in listening to you talk, I think I'm going to know some of the answers, but what are maybe some current trends in coaching that you disagree with, or you don't necessarily think are true, or maybe aren't as glaring to you as maybe other people discuss them? Um, I think some of the current trends would be you need more plays. You know, I go, I go and I watch my middle school teams and they probably have four or five inbounds plays. We've got one, you know, we just want to execute it and make reads. They probably have three or four different offenses. We really just have spacing that we operate out of. Um, so that would be one thing that, you know, less is more sometimes, just get more comfortable doing that. Um, the other thing that I would say is just using analytics more. And I know that people that know me, excuse me, <coughs> sorry, using analytics more, because I know that people that know me know that I'm about numbers and I love analytics and all that kind of stuff. But even I find myself not using them as much as I should. And so like this year, we were very game plan from team to team from an organizational standpoint. That's how we structured our game plans. And so using that data for the first time to really say, do I really need to be guarding this kid? Or can I use this kid that should be guarding this kid to take away something else they want to do? And so just that whole shift in really understanding that numbers aren't just numbers, like you can decide how you want to play and how you want to tilt the numbers. I probably just went way off, way off there, but that's the numbers thing and the analytics is just huge to me. Well, first of all, uh, I, I do want to follow up on something with analytics, but first of all, as somebody that hasn't run a set in three years, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Thank you for saying that. Um, but my follow-up on analytics is, you know, there are, there are so many analytics. So how would you advise a coach to go about figuring out what analytics works for them? Because I think if, if we, even if you use just a program like huddle, there's hundreds of numbers. So I, I guess, what are maybe for you, some analytics that are important and how would you advise a coach to pick the analytics that work for them? Right. Well, I think you just have to look at your team. And again, look at what you're trying to accomplish this year and then decide which ones are important. And so what I mean by that is this. I talked about how turnovers were huge for me, turnover percentage when it comes to offensive. It used to be that I wanted to grow that margin. Like that was my goal was how can I grow that margin? This year, I sort of flipped that on its head because I started again, looking at the individual data, trying to see who it was that could shoot, who couldn't shoot, who was gonna be a threat from the perimeter. Because again, we're not a huge team. And so when we're playing against other teams that have six threes and six twos and are more athletic in our region, what are we gonna to do to take those things away from them? Especially when the other coaches don't want their kids shooting the shots that we shoot. And so in order to do that, I had to back off of how can we grow the turnover margin? So in my mind, I had to dial that margin back for turnover. I still wanted to keep ours low, but I wasn't worried about increasing theirs because I was more concerned about how could I grow my margin and affect the field goal percentage. So now, because I'm not offensively, I want to create space, but defensively, I want to limit it as far as from the parts of the floor that I need to guard. So if there are two or three kids that aren't shooters and I'm backing off of them, I'm not going to increase our turnover percentage margin. But what I may do is I may force their effective field goal percentage to be lower because now I'm taking away the things that they want to get to. And so in doing that, I think that had a, a huge role in, in us, you know, going as far as we did, because we concerned ourselves with what was most important and not everything. Yep. You're, you're simply trying to disrupt rhythm in a very yeah. simple way. 
Um, so as we get into our final two segments, um, the first one we call 30 second timeout. This is your opportunity. You, you have the floor. You could talk about any subject you want to discuss. It can be about yourself, your family, your program, a lot of what you just talked about. You can flip the script and, and ask Todd and I a question. The, the floor is kind of yours for the next 30, 30, roughly 30 seconds. Okay. Well, I guess the biggest thing that I would, you know, I'm going to flip the script a little bit and throw it back at you. You guys talk a lot of basketball and you talk to a lot of different people. What are some areas that you guys uh, see that maybe you can get more legs out of from a coaching standpoint? Like what are some things or some, some topics or ideas that you guys say, maybe there's a little bit more in that that people don't take advantage of? Um, you know, we've had a lot of guests on. I think there's two for me. One is, I know it's a buzzword, but, but your, your culture, and like you talked about, getting your kids and having your program buying in to, to all those things all the way down, even in getting into your, to your youth level um, and whatever you're deciding to do, not as much as and O's, but we decided to do this. This is what we're going to, to do and not, you know, not flipping off of it. Sometimes you have to adjust here and there, right? Like you said, based on personnel, like if you got Zach Eady, well, yeah, okay, maybe we're going to, we're going to throw it in more. Right. But just deciding what you're going to do. And that's what we do. Uh, and, and getting that to go down through your whole program. And then the second one for me is the youth aspect we talked about. Whether you're, you're in your basketball community for your school or, or just in general, um, changing that, that mindset of, um, you know, it's got to be sets and five on five AU, you know, um, because I think a lot of times when you talk three on three, people don't really understand it. They think, oh, it's not a game. We can't, you know, um, you know, we talked to Nick Legabo, who's up from up here, he's a USA basketball three on three coach, great coach. And, um, you know, those are, those are two things, especially me having a younger daughter with the youth development and me being a basketball guy, right? Like, mm -hmm. those are the things that I've really taken from a lot of, lot of our guests. Um, you know, especially, I don't know, John, would you say, we've heard a lot about that maybe in the last season of episodes, last season and a half. Yeah, I, I would definitely say those things. I, I would also add, Coach, and, and not just because you're on, but this is a strong belief of mine, is less is more. I don't think we have to run a million sets. Um, I think sometimes we overcoach the game, and I think sometimes we just need to teach the kids how to play the game and sometimes just be quiet. Um, I would say, and, and this is the social worker background of me, but I would also say player mental health and understanding that it's okay to give them a day off, understanding it's okay to just say, you don't need to practice today. And it, it's not detrimental to your program. If you give them one practice off, um, and, and on that same tie, I think, and, and I was just a guest on a, another podcast recently giving yourself time off. I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing to just say as a coach, like, Hey, I'm going to step away from this for a, a few days. And I think that ties into the last thing I wanted to bring up, which is the amount of people that are leaving the profession in extremely high numbers. Um, and it's definitely a problem here in Illinois, whether it's coaches or to be quite honest, the referees. Um, and, and we really do need to have serious conversations about why that's happening, what we can do to, stop that from happening because I, I do think there are legitimate reasons people are leaving outside of yes they want to spend more time with their family but just the overall treatment of the profession and the overall treatment of what we're trying to accomplish so um, I, I think those are definitely areas we've seen some some high discussion in and and some ways we want to change yeah, no, and I think you talked about the officiating and the, and the mental health and, and different things of that nature. Like down here in Houston, again, yes, we are a large city. Yes, we do have schools opening around us all the time. So that increases the number of games that officials are there to cover. But um, I mean, just recently over the last three or four years, we're normally a Tuesday, Friday type of a system. And now we don't have enough officials to play Tuesday, Friday. So half of our districts play on Tuesday, Friday. The other half plays on Wednesday, Saturday. And then halfway through district, we flip it. And so, I mean, we do have to understand that, um, you know, it, we need players. Yes, we need coaches. Yes, 
but we also have to have officials. And if we're not treating them properly, what's going to force them to stay? And if they don't stay, and if new people aren't coming in to replace the ones that are retiring, then what is that inevitably going to do to our profession and to the game that we love? And how much more pressure is that going to put on us as coaches? You know, it's it all it all runs together, and we have to understand that and and treat everyone better. Period. All right. So we want to jump in our last segment, quick hitters, rapid fire. Uh, you know, some basketball, some some not basketball. Uh, just kind of fun questions to to finish out our uh, our episode here. Uh, first one I have for you is um, off season uh, study or, or learning goals for you. What do you What are you looking at? I've been looking a lot at the lock left system. You know, I talked about our offensive system, and I feel really good about what we're doing there. Uh, defensively, we haven't really had a system uh, since we were a buzz defense team for like six or seven years. Uh, probably five or six years ago. Um, so really getting in and really building out a system, and that's that's sort of what I'm really researching right now. I'm smiling because luck left is one of Todd's favorite things. Um, so you had mentioned real early on uh, uh, points per possession. For you, what do you think a good offensive points per possession is, um, or what do you think a good defensive points per possession is? I think that it's from an offensive point per possession. I think that we have to be, uh, I think that that number changes based on the talent that you have. And I think that we have to be uh, aware of that because yes, everybody wants to chase one point per possession. You know, that's cool. That's great. Uh, we've yet to get there. I think we were 0.98 this year and 0.97 last year. Um, so for us next year, like, 0.98, 0.99, maybe if we can lower our turnovers a little bit, I think that would be great. So getting closer to one point per possession, that would be great. Five or six years ago, I may have told you, man, if we could get to 0.9, that would be awesome. So I think just not getting stuck on chasing one point per possession, setting a goal just like anything else that's realistic to you and to your team for what you think you can accomplish. Otherwise, you're just talking. Um, defensively, over the last six or seven years, and it's been crazy, regardless of whether we were buzz or whether we were man-to-man -man, or there were a few times when we were boxing one, triangle and two, uh, we're right around 0.64 to 0.68 points per possession defensively. So I think there you can have a little more control. And again, that's just going to be based on whether you're trying to turn people over, which when we were in the buzz, I didn't really care about effective field goal percentage. I cared about turnover percentage and we were averaging like 35% turnovers from a defensive standpoint. Um, but so it just, it just depends, but I would say 0.7 would prop 0.65. It just depends on, on what your, whether your girls team or boys team or what it is. All right, so I'm going to take this one a little bit. You talked about your your love for technology and business, but what maybe what was your favorite class that you ever you took in, in school? Uh, something that was like, oh man, that this is really cool, or something unique that you took. Oh well, it, my favorite subject would be math. I'm surprise, surprise. Um, as far as favorite class that I took uh, in college, I took a class called organizational behavior with Dr. Levine Carter. And he just had these 10 principles, the first one being perception is reality. And just the conversation and the, the, the talking back and forth that we would have based around all of that was just, it really, it really tested me. Um, and uh, I really, really enjoyed that class. So I'm going to tweak this one a little bit. It doesn't even have to be basketball related. Anybody, you could sit down, maybe have a meal with them or sit down and have a conversation with them. Past, present, who would you sit down with? This one, um, I still really can't decide where I would go with this. I would say... Um,
I'm just going to say Michael Jordan. That's that's not really a. I I don't really think that that's a good answer or is really. But I I just I don't know. I just like talking and listening to people mm-hmm. because I think that there's so much to learn from listening to what people think, regardless of what their background is. Um, you know, whether it be basketball, whether it be business, whether it be, you know, there's so much that we can learn just from listening. So you can fill in that blank with a, a lot of people. Obviously, Michael Jordan is one of my favorite athletes, if not the favorite. But I'll just say him. But I, I would love to listen to anybody, really. Yeah, I was. I always think like with like Jordan and and Kobe, or even like Tiger Woods. Those guys, I always think it's interesting to like hear them talk and, and just the mindset. Yes. Right. Like the just completely different elite mindset that they have on everything which ultimately made them successful right all right so you talked about defensively um what you're looking at maybe a a tweak or a concept offensively basketball wise that you're you you've seen or you're kind of interested in that intrigues you um i would say something that intrigues me from an offensive standpoint is creating more opportunities offensively by cranking up the pressure defensively. Uh, I've never been a pressing coach. I just, I never have. I have a little bit of a risk aversion level when it comes to that. Uh, But I think that there's some stuff maybe combined with the lock left to where maybe I would feel a little more comfortable. Uh, So finding ways to increase our offensive numbers purely because of the types of shots we're getting maybe because of some turnovers or or things of that nature. All right. So I I couldn't let it go. I added this one. I tweaked it. I couldn't let it go since you're, you live in Texas, you're from Arkansas. What's your favorite kind of barbecue? Are are we a brisket? Are we a rib? Okay. I'm a pork guy. Okay. I wondered where you would go with that. Um, (laughs) Well, so coach, we really, really enjoyed this episode. I think now I'm going to be picking your brain off there about a few things, but thank you so much for jumping on with us today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I loved every second of it. Like I said, I just love listening and learning from the podcast that you guys already have out there. And hopefully I can help contribute to that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.